You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. How's it going, kids? Alan Seiler. Yo. And Veronica Daschle. Boo. <laughs> oh, boo. <laughs> I changed it up. It's not Halloween you yet. I should have saved that. <laughs> Sorry. That's what came out. I started thinking lately, it, it, you know, Keith and I did a thing a couple of weeks where we like pull the line of dialogue from the episode and use that. And and I was uh, like, oh, that's a that's a cool thing. I'm going to remember to do that. I did not remember to do that. This <laughs> I meant to do it. So I should really do my again. But yeah, well, we're fine. <laughs> I got one. I had one. <laughs> we'll save it in case we need a closing. Yes. <laughs> okay. OK. All right. We have some news this week, Alan. Uh, yeah, I mean, not much. There's not any details really that we know on this, but what we do know is that Discovery uh, has gone into production on season five. Mm. Yeah, that's exciting. It is. Yeah. So I don't know exactly who all has reported to set, what they've been doing yet. You know, if it's full cast, if it's just select people doing certain scenes, nothing. But we do know that if that production has begun. I saw online that Doug Jones is now shaved. So that's true. So it's we all, do know that it's official. Yeah, so we're, we're sure that Doug is there. Right. Well, so they've already wrapped Picard. Yeah. And I think they're, they're finishing up strange new worlds now and starting discovery. So it looks like um, yeah. maybe early 2023, we may get Picard strange new worlds discovery. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. I'm loving it. Loving it. Awesome. Yeah. And one quick thing uh, to follow up real quick, what Alan said about the discovery uh, also in the strange new world news, I saw, Throughout the internet, since I'm still not on Facebook, I couldn't post. I saw Marina Sirtis and LeVar Burton both give interviews where they said that season three of Picard is a love letter to the TNG crew. Mm -hmm. And And Marina Sirtis, who we all know is very, very, very outspoken, basically said in the interview that this makes up for all the stuff they didn't do for her character and other characters oh, good. in TNG. I'm wondering what in the heck it could be with they're ecstatic, that, that ecstatic. But yep. at least her and Burton are really saying they, they did right by us in this mm-hmm. last season, um, awesome. which is amazing. Yeah, that's Yay. what you want to hear. And Terry Metalis uh, mm-hmm. months ago said that that was his intention with season three. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, and he said somebody asked him on Twitter. We mentioned this uh, a couple of months ago. Somebody asked him on Twitter, if you could do anything you ever wanted to do with Star Trek, what would it be? And he said, Picard season three. Mm. So it's going to be wow. an interesting, interesting experience when yep. it happens. Fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Crossed. <laughs> right. All right, Keith, did you have some this week and check this week? Yeah, real quickly, just a, a couple of birthdays. One of them, I, I thought these were all kind of important because they're relevant characters that we've looked at, we've known and loved. On 12th of June, 1960, Felicia M. Bell was born. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Yeah, who played Jennifer Cisco? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, Jennifer Cisco in both universes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in the Prime Universe and then in the um, Mirror Universe, where uh, her character was okay. It was okay. It was okay. I don't think I love the Mirror Universe in Deep Space Nine very much. 
No, but I thought bringing Jennifer back was a good use of the mirror universe. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. It allowed Jake and Ben to have some kind of closure mm. in a in mm. a really strange way. Uh, another birth one, birthday. This one is really significant to me. The 13th of June, 1918. Uh, okay, here we go. This is a quick, quick one. Now, look, Jim. Not a man in a million has done what you and I have done. Command a starship. A million That's, decisions a day. <laughs> yes, that is Commodore Stone. Yes. Um, oh, and I know his name, and now I can't think of what it is. So go ahead. Go ahead. Percy Rodriguez. Yes. In court martial. Yep. Um, one of my favorites, because I, I loved, I've, I've said so many times, I loved the first half of the first season. Um, still, for me as a young kid, it was very important because it was a man of color. Um, mm-hmm. For some people nowadays, and Charles, you mentioned last week, with all the diversity we have, for some young people, they're like, what are you talking about? But when I was a kid, seeing a black man, there's no way to say this, see a black man push order around a white man, mm-hmm. and a black man who used to be a starship captain and was a Commodore was a huge deal back in the day. Mm-hmm. Also, it's a great scene, and it's an incredibly dramatic scene between him and Kirk. Like, there's that famous thing where Kirk, where he says, Kirk, that you're basically, you're not going to bring the service down. And then Kirk goes, uh, he says, you, um, you you basically draw a, a hearing. And Kirk says, draw it. I demand it, Commodore, right now, <laughs> right now. And it's got that great 1960s drama. Yeah. Uh, just, just a great episode all around, a great actor. Uh-huh. All right. Couple more, real quick. Uh, also, 13th of June, 1943. Oh, God, this is so easy. They say time is the fire in which we burn. <laughs> that is Tolly and Soren. Oh, points of first name. Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> yeah, in Star Trek Generations. Yes. Also, what is he, the uncle or granduncle of Alexander Siddig? I think it's his uncle. Yeah. His uncle. I, I think uncle, yeah. All right. And just uh, two more. Uh, June 15th, 1956, Captain David is dead. Oh, does that um, Robin um, Curtis? Uh, uh, no, it's um, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, Robin Curtis. What the hell am I yeah. talking about? That's what I, said. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I was going to say Kirstie Alley, but no, it is <laughs> Robin Curtis. Oh, well, good. Good point, Alan, because Robin Curtis, of course, took over the role after Kirstie Alley couldn't uh, agree on the go- on a budget uh, yeah. payment yeah. for the, the the search for Spock. Um, she also, in addition to playing Savick, she also played Talaris and Tapal, spelled T apostrophe P A A L, in the two part Next Generation episode Gambit. The one yep. Picard was running around with the space pirate. Was that the one with the space pirates? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that one. Um, something else I found very interesting, Robin Curtis was originally offered the role of Kalar, Worf's love. Oh, that's cool. But she had scheduling con- uh, conflicts, so they went and said, well, let's go get Susie Plaxon to play Kalar. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. That would have been I, interesting. I, I know. I thought that was really interesting. And the last one, 16th of June, 1972, the second Sulu. Oh, John Cho. John Cho, right. was born in 1972. <laughs> And that was This Week in Trek History. Awesome. We'll take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we'll get into our discussion topics. So stay right there. Winter is coming. Prepare with a fine cigar and listen to the Cigar Nerds podcast. We smoke cigars and talk about movies and all kind of nerdy things available at cigarnerdpodcast.com also on the ESO network at esonetwork.com
I've always found this fascinating because I grew up in the 60s watching Star Trek and that Star Trek was very clearly a military. And then you see throughout the years when you get to TNG, there's an episode and I can't remember, what's the name of the episode where Picard, the they do the war games, Riker takes over a ship and there's that mm. weird alien guy who was brilliant um, that, that managed the war games. And Picard in that episode opposed a war game because he said Star Trek was an exploratory organization, not a military. And then as we go deeper into the Star Trek under Roddenberry, there's less and less of a military. Even in Deep Space Nine, they even talk about how the Defiant was a radical new ship, was, was a warship. And even if you go to the Kelvinverse movies, they even talk about the fact in um, Into Darkness where Starfleet didn't build what you would call battleships or warships anymore. Mm. So I've always been fascinated about Star Trek and, the, and Starfleet. Is, is it a military? Is it an exploratory body? Is it both? What's its initial, you know, what's its goal? Because I see some people online who literally argue it's not a military. Um, mm. But to me, what is it? Well, the characters have said that sometimes. Yeah. yeah. The characters have said, what are we, the military now? Yeah, but it, it <laughs> clearly uses a military structure. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's got ranks, it's got, you know, captains, and it has protocols, and it has all these other things that are intrinsic to the military so mm-hmm. it clearly uses that model for whatever it is it's doing yeah yeah now i could see an enterprise where there's a separate military like the makos are yeah. the military and yeah. they don't like them coming on the ship they feel uncomfortable with it but at the same time i mean like you said they've i mean i guess starfleet at that time was more of like a nasa but nasa right, right. was like heavily armed <laughs> NASA, you know like yeah. if we go to war nasa's not fighting the war you know like the astronauts aren't like mm-hmm. launching missiles from the space station but i mean <laughs> uh, but a, a starship can can wipe out a continent or devastate a planet right and they fight the wars right i agree i think so too if you look at the definition of you know you look at the definition of a military versus say a civilian police force and you're right one of the things a military is for is military is to defend the homeland whatever that is to defend the territories to prosecute wars whether they start the wars or they just are pulled into wars and so yeah i think that and i I think the reason i thought this a question i think the question is always very relevant is we've recently had discussions about um what episodes hue to what we call Gene Roddenberry's vision. And I thought it was very interesting in the episode that we all, we had different definitions of what Roddenberry's vision was. And that depends on when you look at Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. Um, because Charles, you mentioned Discovery, which for some reason I never thought of as being closest to his vision. Because I was thinking of that Roddenberry that sometimes I don't care for who thought humans were going to become perfect automatons in the future. And that's sure. kind of more TNG. And his his view of um, of a Starfleet change, because in the original series, I think of shows like uh, Aaron the Mercy, where Kirk is basically yelling at the Organians. At one point, he goes, excuse me, sir, I'm a, I'm a soldier, not a diplomat. Mm-hmm. And then in um, Metamorphosis, when they can't communicate with the cloud creature, McCoy even goes up to Kirk and says, you know, Jim, the thing is, you've been a soldier so long, you've also you forgot to, you've forgotten that you've also trained to be a diplomat. Um, and they clearly talk, as you say, they talk about a service. They talk about, um, in Day of the Dove, McCoy is uh, under the influence of that creature. He yells at Kirk and Spock and says, when are you going to start acting like military men instead of fools? Yeah. So I think it was clearly yeah. a military at that time. And I think it was, because um, I look at our real life, I mean, some of the greatest scientific discoveries and some of the greatest advancements in the space have been carried out by our military. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's only relatively recently in history that civilians have even become astronauts. They were always military. Yeah. Yeah. In the 60s, yeah. they were all military guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can see it because like the, like 
the original series was being written and produced by people who served in World War II and lived right. in World War II. So right. they, they had very much the, the military mindset coming to the series. But as we, go, as we go forward and further and further from that, we get fewer and fewer people, I think, who are military people. I mean, even the, the guys who are working on next-gen era shows, like, mm-hmm. I'm not even writing it, but like John Eves and Doug Drexler, I'm thinking of, are very much into, like, they're very much nerds about, like, military aviation and things like that. They're real into the planes and real into the pilots, you know? So right. I, I think that gets carried over. Even, I mean, you see that a lot in Enterprise, where... It's a lot of the, they're trying to bring that that right stuff element into yeah. it because they're of that baby boomer generation who grew up during the space program. And, mm-hmm. and there's an episode of Enterprise that's very much just like they're doing the right stuff where they're testing the, uh, <laughs> the NX engine. Yes. Um, yeah. But as yeah. we get further from even that generation now, we've got the next generation of folks, no pun intended, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> working on the shows. Who aren't as tied to that? I mean, I'm I was kind of taken aback in Star Trek into Darkness when Scotty was like, What are we the military now? I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you are. I mean, what's your rank? <laughs> exactly. So my thought when we when this was first posed is like obviously, no, this is they're not military, but mm. they have military qualities and they pull really? their their structure from the military. But think my first experience with Star Trek was Next Generation. Mm-hmm. I didn't really uh-huh. get into the original series that much until Chuck. So my first thought of Star Trek is this is exploratory. This is science. There's um, these people, obviously, that have to kind of enforce the laws of the Federation and protect mm-hmm. the borders and take care of the people in the Federation. But it's not military. It's more like a civilian police force, like you said, uh, Keith. I got that break. My brain is gone. My brain is gone. Veronica, meet Keith. Hi, Keith. Nice to meet you. Hi, Veronica. <laughs> I'm glad I remember Chuck's name earlier. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I remember when um, when the Enterprise was thrown back in time in Tomorrow's Yesterday, uh-huh. and Kirk said to Captain Christopher. Uh, he was asking him sort of like, what branch of the service are you? And he's just kind of like, uh, we're a combined service. Right. You know, so it seems like a lot of military and science, different elements sort of came together to become Starfleet. Right. I mean, that makes sense, you yeah. know, because there is there is a Navy aspect to what they're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and so I, I definitely can see it being like a sort of unification of the best of all these different branches exactly. into that one force we'll call mm-hmm. it yeah they do seem so, less strict though because it seems like on star trek you can just quit yeah yeah, yeah. and like the, yeah. if you're in the army you can't just quit right <laughs> yeah know? you can just yeah. resign your commission whenever you want yeah you just throw your communicator down on the table and that's it I'm go done. join the klingon civil war right. if you want to <laughs> yeah it's funny charles i wrote that exact same note because in that in the episodes with war force like I resign my commission. He puts it on Picard's desk. And then like a month later, he's like, hey, I'm coming back to the service. And I'm thinking, can you imagine an American soldier resigning his commission and go nope. like fight, fighting in Russia for Russia? And next right. month, like, hey, I'm back. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. Yeah. That wouldn't fly. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. And the only time in the original series they did it, which was wonky to me, the only time in the original series where I was like, this is not a military, is when Kirk freaking fired Scotty in the episode, yep. the, the Apple? Yeah, but he didn't really fire Scotty. That was weird. Yeah, I was like, you don't fire people <laughs> in the military. But uh, so what do you uh, so I, It's very interesting, Veronica, you're saying it's not a military. And I thought that's uh, interesting because you did grow up on Next Generation. But um, 
have they become more militaristic with later shows? Have Enterprise or Discovery made you feel more like they're military again or no? I, I think Enterprise was the opposite. Enterprise made a point of that they're more like NASA guys. Yeah. Uh, and you would expect it exactly. if Archer was yeah. a military commander, he wouldn't have gotten beaten up by every alien in season one. <laughs> you know? wow. I mean, they make a point of how these folks are kind of incompetent at fighting and about right. strategy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're, right. uh, they, they go through a big learning curve over the course of Enterprise. And then yeah. when the Makos come on, there's a, a very much a distinction between the Starfleet personnel and the Makos. Yeah. What's really interesting about that to me is that, and I had never really thought about this before, mm-hmm. um, is uh, Reed, who very clearly makes the point that he is from a military background. His family was military and how sort of like out of the ordinary that seemed amongst that crew, you know, like he was the, he was the unique one because he is from a strict military background. Like his family raised him a certain way and blah, blah, blah. And I never really thought about how they painted that at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. His family was Navy, weren't they? I yeah. think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's a they whole other discussion, but I wonder what the Navy's up to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? They were, yeah, they were a British Navy. The, the, the yeah. one episode when, um, I think it was the episode when uh, Archer called back because they were trying to have a birthday party for Malcolm and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whether he likes pineapple or not. Or yeah. Right. They're being hunted by aliens and Hoshi trying yeah. to figure out what his favorite food is. Hey, at, his, at least they gave Hoshi something to do. That's yeah. true. That's true. <laughs> and Malcolm's dad kind of huffily made a point about your, he would talk about how there were generations of Navy men and that wasn't, the ocean wasn't good enough for him. No, he had to go into space. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, that's, that's interesting to think about though. Cause you never think about the Navy in Star Trek. Right. Right. Presumably you would still have a Navy. You There's a lot of the earth surfaces is ocean. You know, there's right. still operations out there. Um, I was thinking too, I mean, the Makos obviously were a separate thing in Enterprise, but then mm-hmm. there's the episode of of DS9 that I, get, I didn't get time to rewatch called The Siege of AR-558. Oh my yes. God. And those guys really. seemed like they were more military than yeah. the standard yeah. structured officer as well. Yeah, Absolutely. that's true. Like, so I wonder if there's, even if it's part of Starfleet, if you have like the mm-hmm. infantry version of Starfleet. Yeah. You know, like we see the ship based guys a lot, but I wonder if there's the, the I mean, like, I, there have to be the ground troops also. Well, you know, it's, it's real funny because we get, yeah, it goes back to how you view Gene's vision of, of the future. And it's, it's funny because as much as I love Gene, I don't agree personally with his timeline for when humans will become almost perfect in the future. So I don't, I kind of don't agree with how he presents the next generation. But when you guys talk about the Makos, you, uh, Charles and Alan, I loved the Makos. Mm. And, yeah, I did Enterprise too. Because they were necessary. And, and you know, one of the oh, best yeah. character arcs in all of Star Trek was that, you know, whether you like the Zindi War or not, was the, was the person that Archer started becoming because he was, as you said, basically a scientist and an astronaut who had to become a soldier. Mm. And mm-hmm. he really went off the deep end. But I love when the Makos came in. Their uniforms were different. Their weapons were different. Their tactics were different. Yep. And when they first came on, I'm thinking, well, of course you should have had a military out in the middle of space. You idiots, did you not think about that? <laughs> Maybe uh, everybody will be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I love the Makos. And even though I don't care for the Kelvin verse, Star Trek Into Darkness does make some points, which is, do we really think that if we survive to the 24th century and we have space travel and so forth, that we would get to the point where we would even we would scoff at building warships? We do that now in our country. You know, in the United States, we like to consider ourselves pacifists and, and nice people, but we sure as heck can dish out some 
some offensive fire if we have to. Yeah, um, I don't know if America as a whole considers themselves pacifists and nice people. Yeah, a large percentage of our budget goes towards military assets. I don't, I shouldn't say passive, not aggressive, where we don't consider ourselves to, sh- to, to strike first. We just declare ourselves the good guys every time. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> do y'all think, honestly, that do y'all realistically think that two, three hundred years from now, humanity no. could get to the point where I don't no. either. I just don't see it either. Never. No, I think the expanse is a more realistic version yes. of future humanity. Yeah. Star Trek <laughs> right on. Maybe I'm being <laughs> pessimistic, but yeah. <laughs> no, I agree with you. And Babylon 5, because they sure as heck had a military. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, of the main characters, I mean, the, the one that jumps out to me the most is having like a military background, or at least that being part of his backstory is O'Brien. O'Brien. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say the his, same thing. Yeah. His experiences fighting the Cardassians was brought yeah. up several times. And I mean, right. really powerfully, I thought. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Yeah. Um, but it, it does seem always kind of silly that, I mean, they've done a better about it actually in the recent Star Treks, mm-hmm. but in the old Star Trek, I mean, you, you'll go into a big fight with whatever aliens and everyone just beams down in their regular uniform with their one phaser, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you know, and uh, now at least they have tactical gear and right. I mean, I would want something that can might deflect a phaser blast if it hit me rather than just my standard uniform. Exactly right. Absolutely. It's something that wasn't the tearaway that Kirk always wore because he always had to show his chest. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey. He always yeah. won those fights. Yeah, but what I, what I find very interesting with that is it's funny because they always talk about uh, the Federation after the original series being a peacekeeping organization, a scientific organization, and so forth. But then there's always a storyline where they basically get their butts kicked and they realize again, because remember the Defiant was a new type of war, sh- a ship, which is a callback to the old ships from Kirk's time, which is a ship of, of war. And they only did it because they were afraid of the Borg. And you know they even talked about people didn't want to do that. Um, I still find it weird that Picard, who had been a captain for two decades and was the captain of the flagship, didn't even want to do war games. I thought at that point, my personal pain was Roddenberry was going a little far into the really cool scientific guys. Because you don't mm. do war games, you're not prepared. Yeah. Um, so I didn't. I kind of didn't really get that. Um, and I know they talked about many times in Deep Space Nine, I thought we didn't do warships, I thought we didn't do this. And I just always thought, you know, that doesn't make any sense because one, they are structured like a military. And if you're going to fight, you are the military and you better be ready to kick some butt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know if we can get to that point anytime soon. No. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to watch through like next gen through DS9, especially, but also Voyager yeah. um, because the aesthetic changed so much because on next gen, right. it's very like the, the whole aesthetic of the enterprise is different from what you see later on. I mean, it's, it's very yeah. like homey. It's like a hotel. You have kids exactly. running the halls. And right. then exactly. I mean, the Enterprise E is very sterile, very sort of sharp and military looking. DS9 is that way as well. Sure. So the aesthetic yeah. of Starfleet changed. I mean, yeah. at the same time, they're having those conflicts with the Borg. They're having the conflicts with the Dominion. So it yeah. makes sense in, in universe that they would sort of shift directions. But it's interesting to see that a sort of a cultural shift in Starfleet over that you know 18-year period or, what, or 15-year period or however long it was. Yeah, but but the galaxy classes were intended to be like long missions mm-hmm. where yeah. you are going to have your family with you, where right. you're going to establish a home life because that's going to be your home for 15 or 20 years, mm-hmm. not a five year mission. You're not just being sent out across the ocean and come back, you know, so it wasn't it was intentionally homier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, I don't think that that should have extended to the bridge. Mm. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. There should have been clear delineation between the various functions of the different parts of the ship and the quarters and the hallways and whatever, you know, the arboretum or whatever can all be homey, but you got to keep your bridge. Like that's your, that's your whole focus. That's where you turn your attention to everything that's going on outside of the ship. And it should not have looked like, you know, I've never said this aloud to any person, (laughs) but I hate the design of the next gen bridge really i yeah. like I it i just hate it really, really? yeah okay. i hate it interesting <laughs> you have learned new things about me that no one else has ever gotten from me before probing <laughs> the depths of alan <laughs> hoping this is safe space <laughs> there's a topic for another show and alan one thing i'll follow up on what you said real quickly I've, i always have these lists in my head about this and that I've, I've always done a list of the things in all of star trek that make no sense to me plot lines that make no sense. One of them would be like data not being able to use contractions. Uh, Another one would be like the Federation not having cloaking technology. But you know what my number one of all the Star Trek throughout the last 50 years is that makes no sense to me is families on the Enterprise D. Because... Well, but as I just said, there were intended to be long missions. You can't expect anyone to leave their family behind for 20 years. Yeah, but what always was weird to me is like that. Then they would go, oh, hey, we're going to go face the Romans. We'll probably get killed today. And I always think, well, yeah, yeah. that's a weird one because they don't always have time to offload. Like like, um, in Deep Space Nine, when the Odyssey, which was another um, Galaxy class ship, fought the Dominion, it was was a great episode where the ship blew up at the end when the Jem'Hadar rammed it. Mm -hmm. The captain of Odyssey made a big point of saying they offloaded everybody at one of the stations before they went to battle because the ship blew up and I guess they didn't want to make you go, oh, my God, the kitties. But there's so many times <laughs> where I'm thinking they face the Borg, they face the Romulans, and, and they face Nagilum, and I'm thinking, Nagilum. man, they're gonna, they're gonna, how many kids die would die on that ship? It's just always weird to well, me. Well, sure, I understand that. But the other side of that is that um, this was intended to be like long range exploration, so it's mm-hmm. not going to come back for a long time. And yet, somehow, for seven years, they just hung around <laughs> Federation space. <laughs> You're I right. mean, come on. And then they yeah. get recalled to Earth like every like at least once a season. And they're like, <laughs> how are they ever going to accomplish their 20 year mission if you keep recalling yeah. them? And if they keep like hanging around with the Klingons and stuff, get out there and do what you're supposed to be doing. Which to me would show that <laughs> actually uh, dovetailing what you're saying to me, it was showing that I think Starfleet is if you look at our, our uh, like I said, if you look at our, our modern military, it's like so much research and science and space and geology is done by the Navy and the Air Force. I think that Starfleet really is a military that would have exploration and scientific branches. And I tend to think that some of the missions for the ships like the Enterprise D probably would have been given over to a much more dedicated scientific and exploration branch. Yeah. And I think the D would yeah. have been more of a pure military ship. Yeah. Because uh, I just think Starfleet is military no matter what people try. <laughs> uh, and I, I was joking with I was joking with Charles. I texted Charles that great quote from the from uh, the uh, Abramverse movie where Pike says Starfleet's not a military organization. It's a peacekeeping armada. And the joke is an armada that keeps on. Okay. Right. I like it. All right. Yeah. So it seems like they're sort of the military when they need to be. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Depends on the writer. I love the Makos. <laughs> All right, we'll see a quick break from what a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we get back, we'll be talking about the latest episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So stay right there. 
Dad. What's the Soul Forge podcast? The Soul Forge podcast is all about life, the universe, and everything. Is it good for kids? Oh no, it's not good for kids. Is it geeky? Oh, it can be geeky, but it can also be serious. We talk about life, sex, dating, and mental health, and so much more. Where can you find the Soul Forge podcast? You can find it everywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, and the ESO Network. Whoop! Whoop! Spoilers! Whoop! Whoop! Spoilers! That's getting ridiculous. (laughs) You asked for it every time. Every time. I'm never disappointed. All right. Spoilers for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, The Serene Squall. Yeah. Uh, which is, I, I loved. I thought it was great. Yeah. It was, a lot, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It really delved into Spock. It was real. I love the lighthearted tone. The pirates themselves made me think of the Ravagers from Guardians of the Galaxy. They're <laughs> yes. all just a bunch of dimwits. <laughs> but it also, I mean, the pirate storyline made me think of a lot of strange of, uh, of Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. Where I mean that, oh, that yeah. could have been a lower deck storyline where all of a sudden they're cooking them dinner and then all of a sudden they're tricking them into a mutiny. You know I, that what I love that. Yeah, I mean, I, a I thought, hey, how about I cook you a meal? Was one of the strangest <laughs> tactics you could possibly use. But then them like staging that that coup, yeah. you know, just setting those people up to t- that was great. I yeah. loved it. I thought it, was it a caught lot of me fun. off guard. I'm, for some reason, I was thinking this is going to be a deeply dramatic show today. And yeah. so when he started talking about cooking, I'm like, what? <laughs> what? I, I, it took me a minute to catch up. Y'all remember, have y'all ever seen the movie Ice Pirates? Yeah. With Robert yeah. Yerick? Yeah, I got some vibes of that, too. I'm thinking, <laughs> what, kind of a Ryan, yeah, what kind of a Ryan is it? I thought Ryan's ball supposed to be like really, you know, the Ryan syndicate and stuff. Yeah. I thought they were supposed to be incredibly tough. And well, A, he's probably not in the syndicate. B, yeah. Yeah. He, no individual is exactly the same as every other. Yeah. yeah. There's got to be, I mean, you know, there's got to be ones that are just like incompetent and, yeah, you know. Remy was one. He was trying to sell him as yeah. slaves. Like he had, he, he's right. trying to be a good Orion, but it wasn't working out for him. <laughs> he, he's the ROM of Orion's. <laughs> right. <laughs> They did a couple of things in the show I liked, and it's it, it's these little retcon touches that I like because you always talk about in the original series. We saw this once in the next generation. I love the fact that number one locked the ship down. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, that's because you know in in 1968 they didn't know about that, but nowadays you can lock your phone down that somebody can't get into it. But mm-hmm. on starships, they can like phaser a couple of people and take over the whole ship. So I thought it was cool that they at least had the force unlocking the ship. I thought that was yes. really cool. So they they weren't able to guess the four digit code that you like used to <laughs> yeah. unlock your phone screen, right? Yeah. Well, that, right. that's how the ships were in Star Trek Two. <laughs> yeah. Something else I gotta tell you, I love with does everybody keep a freaking phaser under their chair? I was gonna say that <laughs> they, they, they like they had the phaser under the chair and they used the chair as a shield. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. I don't know why I mean, they've never that's done the that way- before. How do have we not seen that before? Yeah, I love that yeah. she hid behind the command chair. Like that's a great yeah. design for a command chair. It's provides exactly cover. Right. right. That yeah. was great. They had everything except for I don't know if y'all remember, but in the uh, first episode of the animated series, um, Beyond the Farthest yeah. Star, there's that doggone laser device in the in the roof of mm-hmm. the bridge. Yeah. They had everything but that in this episode. That would have why, why have we never seen that again? Yeah, come <laughs> yeah. on, come on. <laughs> Well, I thought that was I thought that was pretty good. Um, question: Were y'all fooled? 
Father reveal? Yes. yes. Yeah. So was I. Okay, it wasn't just me. Okay. But I guessed the other reveal before it was revealed. I didn't. Oh, wow. I don't know how. I just wasn't thinking that direction. I should have been. Because I was thinking of Cybok. By the way, I'm talking about Cybok. Right. I was thinking <laughs> about Cybok two weeks ago when she was really? talking to the... Um, I'm always thinking about Cyborg. I'm a big fan of Star Trek five. I've said that before on the podcast. I've, I've yeah. tweet, just a few weeks ago, I was tweeting pictures of the comic book of Star Trek five. But um, yeah. when T'Pring was talking about like, her job is dealing with like emotional Vulcans right. or Vulcans who've rejected logic. And I thought about Cyborg then I didn't guess that he was going to actually be on the show. But now it looks like they're setting him up to be like the big bad of the season. Dude, I am so excited about that. Yeah. Was, oh. Okay. I have seen Star Trek V exactly one time. <laughs> so you got to refresh my memory. Was Cybrock a straight up criminal other than the stuff he was doing in the show? Was he was he described as a criminal before that? Well, he was inspiring a lot of people to criminal stuff. Like he uh, inspired those people to take over uh, Paradise City and hijack mm-hmm. the Enterprise. But then okay. he's like, I'm just trying to reach God. Like he paints right. himself as being this sort of spiritual guy. He's okay. he's the spiritual liberator. Yeah, basically. he's like the guru of a cult. And exactly. his cult members are murdering people. It, right. Oh, right. uh, yeah. I see. So he won't so, be he he won't necessarily be like some kind of serial killer conqueror. He'll be somebody who's going against the system and a lot of stuff gets done well, in the name of that. Yeah, or he'll be the guy saying, like, I didn't make these people do this. You're causing this to happen. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, he's, he's, always, he's his righteous. hands are clean. Exactly. He's he's the righteous guy. It's not our his fault that we're interrupting his vision. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love Cyborg. I'm I'm thrilled to see Cyborg back. I am was, too, man. Yeah, I oh. didn't expect it really because it's implied the the implication in Star Trek Five, like a lot of things we're seeing <laughs> on the show, is that he hadn't seen Cyborg since he was he was a kid since he was a kid. But right. he never says I haven't seen Cyborg since I was a kid. It's sort of just implied. So they've got some room to play. Right. Uh, I'm excited for Cyborg. Yeah, oh, boy, I think I said last week they are driving trucks through those gaps in the continuity where they can, they can sneak something in. You're yeah. right. They they like they they technically never said that Kirk was the first person to see a Gorn, so they're running with it. So you're right. They technically never said that T'Pring and Spock haven't seen each other since they were seven. Right. Even though everybody thought they did. Right. So now they're like having Nookie every single week in every single port. <laughs> Has T'Pring been on the okay. show more than Hemmer? I was just going to say exactly the <laughs> yeah. same thing. Literally, when I was watching tonight's episode, that was my thought. Yeah. And I was like, that's going to be my big point tonight in the episode. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. That- I just, I mean, literally, I was going to say it like exactly when you were saying it. Wow. And I got to say, for all of us who for all these years admired Spock's chastity and the fact that he wasn't doing <laughs> anything, now we know why. Because he was... <laughs> He was getting more when he was younger than most people. Do. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're exploring Spock in a different way. Is they're telling new stories about wow. Spock, which is yeah. fun. Yeah, are they ever? Oh, and, and what about what's his face showing up, hanging out with Tapring? Mm-hmm. Stan. Oh, Stan. Yeah. yeah, that was interesting. Veronica, you got that too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Veronica <laughs> laughed, and I was like, "Hey, I'm proud of you." <laughs> well, she just she just rewatched. Uh, a mock time very recently. Yeah, I did, so, and yeah. her reaction to it is on YouTube. That's yeah, right. I gotta watch that. I'm watching that this weekend because I gotta see what you <laughs> thought about that one. Yeah. Um. Now, what about Jesse James Kaitel? What? How did everybody like Jesse James Kaitel in this? She one? was awesome. Holy smoke! She yeah. was phenomenal. She yeah. played it well. She was. She was sympathetic. Mm-hmm. She was tender. She was vulnerable. She was sarcastic. And then when she turned, she was suitably kind of creepy and villainous. Yeah, God, she yeah. was amazing. Yeah, she, she, she played great. it. She played I, that I role. She might be so far the MVP of the season. Mm. 
holy cow, she was great. Yes, it was really interesting well. because, yeah. uh, as always, Chuck gets us up at like 3 a.m. to watch it. Um, <laughs> so I watched it this morning, sort of, mostly. Um, and then we watched it again this evening. And watching that uh, first half, having known what's coming later, you yeah. see all the little barely noticeable things that you wouldn't even think of were anything that she was yeah. doing yeah. to 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 try and show that, hey, I'm actually not telling the truth here completely. Um so it was really interesting to see that, um, having gone watched a second mm-hmm. time. Did any of y'all watch Will Wheaton's show? Yes. Yes. Okay. No. <laughs> because she basically does, like, it takes over a segment and pretty much in character. Yep. Oh, my God. It was so funny. It's good. <laughs> this is a good episode of The Ready Room this week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I need to watch that next, too. Yeah, I thought she did a, I thought she did a suitably good job. Um, also, especially suitably when it, good. Yeah. Well, also when you insert her into if, if this is actually a densely packed show because there was an entire storyline with Spock and T'Pring. There's an entire storyline kind of sort of with T'Pring and on the 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 rehabilitation thing. There's that kind of ludicrous thing with the goofy uh, crew, and then there was her performance, which went from sympathetic to this to that. So there was like three or four things that they were juggling. And it didn't fall apart, especially in that was mm-hmm. only what 50 minutes or something like that. So. Yeah, yeah. Right at, I think, 49 something. So. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's part of why it felt like a lower decks episode, because they just jammed so much into this 49 minutes, mm, kind of yeah. like what lower decks does, mm-hmm. where a lot of the times with other Star Trek episodes, it'd be like, okay, so this entire show here could have been like 10 episodes on any other <laughs> series. I don't know if that's that's true, but there was a lot of stuff. I'm in exaggerating there. a, a lot. little bit. Yeah. yeah, maybe three shows, three episodes. This would be like three episodes on Picard. I will admit, <laughs> I, I will admit, I chuckled when um, I was Pike was basically doing like an old sailing vessel wheel. Everything that controls. Oh the yeah, that was really cool. That was yeah. a nice touch. Yeah, and then I was sitting there going because I didn't know how funny I thought this was, and I was thinking, well, I'm not sure if I'm I'm liking this comedic bent. And then I, I actually wrote in my notes, wow, they converted the crew really quickly. And I got to admit, I laughed when he was like, well, basically, we haven't really converted the crew. <laughs> and you see the crew <laughs> trying to get in. <laughs> We've got this one room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like the mutiny is still in progress and they're still working on it. I thought that was pretty funny. Angel made me think, or Angel slash Dr. Aspen made me think a lot of Harry Mudd mm-hmm. because mm. they came on with a false identity. Like Harry yeah. Mudd did. They yeah. had left the real Dr. Aspen stranded on a planet somewhere, which <laughs> just like sort of Harry came on as Leo Walsh and mm. had liberated Leo Walsh's spaceship, essentially. The implications <laughs> he left Leo Walsh for dead somewhere. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, they have that that great turn where they take over the ship and it just had a real like Harry Mudd, like modern day Harry Mudd vibe to me where this is going to be a recurring character. We're going to see them again. Definitely recurring. Yeah, yes. definitely. Uh, but I, I didn't even think about mud. That's a, mm. that's an interesting comparison. Yeah, I didn't think about mud either. Yeah, mainly I think mainly because I don't like mud very much, and and, <laughs> and I think Jesse James Keitel established herself so firmly in this new character that mm-hmm. it didn't really put me in mind of any previous character. I was so engrossed in Aspen slash Angel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was big fan. Yeah, like we were saying off mic, Jesse Jensen Keitel has a really cool name. Oh my yes. god, that's the greatest name ever. <laughs> and she's related to Harvey Keitel. I her, wondered about yeah, that. Yeah, her grandfather, I believe, is Harvey Keitel's cousin. So they're not closely related, okay. but they are related. 
It's like, interesting. Yeah. I, I, I finished the episode like minutes before, like coming in to <laughs> scramble and open my laptop and plug all my stuff in. And yeah. So I didn't have time to look that up. But that's I'm, yeah, why that's I get up early to watch it. So I have the day I could do research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I chose not to do that. Today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought it was really interesting that they chose to pair a non-binary character with Spock. And they were really emphasizing in this episode that Spock's not Vulcan and yeah. not human, like not yeah. quite yeah. each, you know, he's sort of somewhere in between. Right. I thought that was an interesting, like sort of using Spock as a metaphor for being non-binary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like everyone sees Spock as Vulcan, but then they made a big point in this one that T'Pring is seeing him as being very human. Yeah. yeah. And they, they even called out the Colinar, which he's like, I'm looking forward to my Colinar. But yeah. like we just we just recently saw Star Trek the motion picture on the big screen. And that's a big part mm-hmm. of that movie mm-hmm. is that his colonar gets interrupted because Vijay yeah. is stirring his human side and Spock sort of comes to terms with the fact that he's human and Vulcan over the course of that movie. Mm-hmm. So it's I think this is a really interesting way to use, like I said, Spock is a metaphor, but also um tying it in with his bigger story arc. Mm-hmm. Yes. I thought it was Man, really that's... clever. I, I agree with you. And yeah. actually I haven't I haven't watched you watched uh the first Star Trek. Uh, much more recently than yeah. I have. So I didn't even think about that aspect. I haven't seen it in a long, long mm. time. So I'd forgotten about uh, his culinar being sort of the focus of that and, and the interruption of it being, you know, tied into his character arc. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, now that you mention it, you're absolutely right. And this yep. was so well-written tying into what that's going to become. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I also really enjoyed um, when Angel was talking to Spock, um, about not being Vulcan and, and not being human. And Spock was like, uh, uh, that's just genetics. Mm-hmm. And he was, and then right. I was raised on Vulcan. And she's like, that's just geography. <laughs> that was so a good comeback. Yeah, uh-huh. that, was, that was so perfect. Yeah. So perfect. I really, I really enjoyed course, the whole, uh, you got to define yourself yeah. aspect of that. But of course it is much more than just geography. <laughs> it is. But I mean, that's something that Spock said in the first episode was that, uh, even and even the trailers, it was like in Starfleet, I can be not Vulcan, not human. I'm just yep. Spock. I'm just Spock. It, true. It, it sort of ties in with um, like Angel being Angel. You know, like you, mm-hmm. you don't have to define yourself by the just define yourself as yourself. Right. I thought I, I, I thought I thought it was really well done. I thought it was a fun episode. Yeah. A lot of you know, there's action, there's pew pew, you know, but also there's some, <laughs> some deeper stuff in there. If you look for it, I thought it was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice nice balance of of the deeper stuff and the humor. Mm-hmm. Yes. I did write down why was Pike going on that mission? And then before I could finish writing, number one was kind of like, what's going on with you recently? <laughs> you know, she even said something to him like, well, why are you going down here? Um, mm-hmm. I forget. Yeah, you know, I thought that was a very interesting point she made because he yeah. really should have stayed on the ship and let her lead that mission. That's why I said Spock was not the best first officer because he let his captain go off the ship all the time and Riker was the yeah. best because he was like no captain you're staying here yeah so, so. it looked like they're doing that throwback <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, maybe. I, I also maybe. think it was part of being called a boy scout oh maybe uh, also I think, think about that. I think this might be building into the I know my future and when I mm-hmm. die thing yeah. because and I want them to I, I don't want them to dwell on that, but I do want it to have an effect on who he is and who he sees himself as. Mm-hmm. Because if you know you're going to die in 10 years, I can do anything I want. Mm-hmm. I can go on any away mission I want and I know I'm going to be OK. And, you know, it's funny. I wrote because I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I 
of all the things in this series, that is the thing that I dislike the most. I vehemently dislike the fact he knows his future because when they were beating him, I was sitting there going, well, he knows he's not going to die for 10 years, so he doesn't have that fear anymore. So for me, <laughs> it's it's taken away. For me, him knowing that he's not going to die, well, he's not, he doesn't even know he's going to die. For me, he knows that he's going to live another 10 years and he can't die. To me, it ruins a lot of that. I don't me. think it does. I don't think it does. And I, I think what what you actually mean, that is, the way that I kind of, the way you're saying it, what I think of is it ruins the audience's. Yeah, uh, because because the audience knows he's going to die. But as long as what he learns, that information that he has in his head affects him some way, as long as it changes his perspective, as long as he starts acting differently because he has that, I think that's going to be such a really interesting character growth for him. Mm-hmm. He's going to have a super interesting arc when he goes through. OK, not to make another parallel with Doctor Who, but there was uh, a thing where. It, the doctor comes to what he thinks is his final regeneration. Mm-hmm. So how does that affect you? Do, does that make you more cautious? Does that make you just throw everything away because it's like, well, this is it. So I may as well go out with a bang or does it make you like hesitant and mm. question everything that you do? I want to, I want to see him go through that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I completely dislike it, but I <laughs> we I know you've mentioned it a number of times. <laughs> yeah, but I hadn't thought about I hadn't thought about at least the angle where maybe it might make him in some ways almost a little more reckless or yeah. yeah I want to see how it affects him and how whatever it affects him affects the crew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, I think it has the potential to be super interesting. Yeah, and and, and to your point, it might be a point where at some point in time they may have to pull him back. As a matter of fact, that little right. comment number one made. Maybe that's setting up at some point. She's going to have to say, Chris, you know, you're starting to take chances you wouldn't ordinarily take. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So I hadn't even thought about that angle. Yeah. 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 Now, I can't remember. Does she know that he has this information? He's about He's been people? telling everybody. OK. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> Aliens. Like, what's, yeah. Right. He told, what's the name of bed last week? You're right. He's kind of telling everybody. He told a whole planet oh, one time. The episode last week. So, so it's going to get to the point where he's going to be like braggadocious. He's like, you know what? I don't die for another 10 years. So you can do whatever you want. And I'm be okay. Well, that would be interesting, though. I mean, especially if someone right. got injured or killed because he took a chance he wouldn't have taken. Right. Absolutely. And he doesn't know if it's his fault or not. Right. I mean, there's a, a lot of interesting things they could do with that. Exactly right. Yeah. One thing that threw me in the episode, and it, it, it took until I watched it the second time, the fact that they made a point in the episode that they're too far out to talk to Starfleet, which I love. Yeah. I love them being too far out to talk to Starfleet, but then they, they're they talking to Pring all the time, and she's like right around the corner. But <laughs> that's because I was thinking she was on Vulcan, but that planet she was on was not Vulcan, yeah. I realized. And that's also, true. I mean, Angel's plan only makes sense if they lure the Enterprise somewhere close to Pring. Yeah. While she's at Cybok, while she's seeing Cybok. Yeah. Otherwise, exactly. there's no plan there. So yeah, the whole plot hinges on the Enterprise being in the vicinity of the facility where Cybok is while Tapring's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm okay with it. Yeah. One negative I have okay. is that the interior of the alien ship looked like a rundown building. And I hate when the interior yeah. of alien, they, they've I mean they, they've done it on various sci-fi things. I know like Star Trek 2009 famously did it for the Enterprise engine room. I mean, Doctor <laughs> Who has done it back in the Tom Baker era. They've Mutiny in Space famously did it where it was like warehouses with the inside of it never works. No, stop doing that. Yes. <laughs> if you don't have a spaceship, make a, I'd, rather, I'd rather have a little crappy spaceship than, you know, a, a rundown building with light shining through the windows. <laughs> 
Good point. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I didn't see the light shining through the windows. Now I want to watch it again. And see. Well, it was a sunlight. They were shining lights through, yeah. but it didn't make it feel more spaceshipy to me. It no. Because it, it, spaceships are not generally square or regular. Exactly. You know, right. like, and buildings are, and they have girders and things like that, and brick walls. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Did anybody else have any negatives? No. I don't think I had really any. Wow. I mean, I, I'll have to watch it a second time, but I can't think of any. Um, I want to say... I love Jess Bush more every week mm-hmm. than the week before. I think she's wonderful and I'm yeah. loving her character. The amount I'm surprised by the, I, I figured that um, to bring would be a recurring character, but I'm really surprised at how much they're, they're yeah. doing with her. Oh yeah. Just three you episodes know? in a row, right? No, not in a row, but they've spaced them out, but it's basically like, it's almost every other episode. Yeah. yeah she was in the first one. She was in the fourth one, third one. She was in yeah. the, or the fifth one, and then now this one. She's in it a lot, which I, I mean, I like what they're doing with her. And like mm, you said, too. I like what, like, before the show even started, I was saying that Christine Chapel feels like a wholly different character to me. Yeah. But today, Boy. I felt like I saw little yep. bits of the old Christine Chapel for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think her so reaction too. to kissing Spock and the way that yeah. she sort of, of course, I knew it wasn't real, you know, like all that kind of stuff at the end. It felt like, ooh, like I feel a little bit like the, the old Christine developing there, which I thought was interesting. I totally agree with you. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. Me too. Um, I'm looking forward to, so we've been, we've had some backstory on, um, on number one, we've gotten a lot on Spock, of course. Um, we've gotten some on La'on and whatever her last name happens to be in per episode. Right. I'm really looking forward, and we've gotten some Uhura. I'm really looking forward to seeing more of, um, Ortegas. Yeah. I want to see a little bit more of Himmler. So yes. I, I'm ready for for some of these like junior characters to get some more focus. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that we'll get a little bit of each of them this season. Sometime I don't want it to be safe for next season. Yeah, you know. But I love all of them so much, and I love all of them enough that even if I don't get that stuff this season, I'm I'm okay because mm-hmm. they're great characters, and I'm so engaged with them, and I will of course be back next season to see what they do with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. I think Ortega, she, she cracks a lot of jokes, but I'd like to see a little bit more of her. Uh, I thought something that I took from the episode tonight, it might not have been their 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 main focus that they intended to. I've often for years wondered about Vulcans. And it's, I've always, this is the thing I've always thought, this, is, this may sound really weird. They always say that it's the human side of Spock that is the problem. But I actually disagree with that. I think it's the Vulcan side of Spock that is the problem. Because at the end of the day, if you look at it, Vulcans have way, 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 way more intense emotions than we do. Now, the only thing I think you can blame the human side for is maybe not having the same mental power to engage logic, which is what I guess they're trying to say. But they often always make it seem as if the human emotions are the problem but if you look at Vulcans, their emotions are much more erratic and uncontrollable than ours. They just have the Vulcan side just gives them this incredibly powerful brain because we've seen in shows like Enterprise and we've seen in things like a mock time. And we've seen when in um, um, this side of this side of paradise, mm-hmm. um, when Spock loses his temper, that Vulcan humans got nothing on Vulcans when it comes to <laughs> being out of control. And I actually was thinking about this once. I actually can't think of another race in Star Trek. That is more uncontrollable in their emotions than Vulcans without logic. Not the Klingons, not the Romulans, 
not the um, the Nausicans. We haven't. Mm. We really haven't seen a single race that is in, as uncontrolled in their emotions as the Vulcans in their natural state. So the reason I say all that is I would love to explore more this whole thing of Vulcan mental illness and a Vulcan criminal system. Because my first thought mm. would be you don't have crime. If you remember in uh, again back to the animated series, the um, when the woman Spock goes back in time and meets his young self. Sarek told Spock when he said, you have to choose between a path of human and a path of being a Vulcan. He said, Vulcan offers much. No crime is one of the things he said. But then I thought about that and I thought, but they're still at their core. They're way more emotional than humans. They're actually way more violent than humans. So how much mental illness is there in Vulcan? And is crime a mental illness on Vulcan? Or are some people just criminals? Yeah, We're having a discussion right now with gun rights and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There's this whole thing of, you know, like some people say, if you if you commit mass murder with a gun, then you are obviously mental ill in the discussion. And then some people are like, no, you're just evil. What does that mean? And so I, w I welcome the opportunity to explore Vulcan crime, Vulcan mental health, and mm -hmm. what is Vulcan logic? Because I've always felt that Vulcans are crippled, honestly. I feel they're crippled mm -hmm. because they can't be their pure selves. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Yeah. So one of the um, books from the Hun Humble Bundle that I mentioned uh, last week was mm -hmm. um, Spock's Mindful. I don't remember the exact title. It was basically Spock and Mindfulness. And mm -hmm. um, I didn't read a lot of it, but it was basically Spock and talking about as and you're reading it as if Spock wrote this. So it was I need, I'm interested to read more and see how much that would uh, apply to what you're thinking about here, Keith. Yeah, I'd be very mm -hmm. interesting. I'd like to see that. Hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate this episode that they made a point that it's not a prison, it's right. a rehabilitation facility. Because yeah. I love it when on Star Trek when they don't have prisons and they treat criminals as if they need help rather than right. incarceration. And that's yeah. not been consistent across Star Trek, but I like it when they swing in that direction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, Keith, you had a couple of thoughts you wanted to circle back to about last week's episode. Yeah, real quickly. And, um, and, and, and Alan just said something that put me in mind of that. Um, I don't watch stuff on the internet just so I can form opinions, but I do like to see what people are saying. Mm -hmm. And there was a, 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 a surprising number of people who called out Captain Pike for his behavior last week's episode because they mm. said he came off as kind of dim with it. I mean, honestly, that's what people were saying is like everybody mm. knew that his former whatever she was was holding a secret. And they were like, Pike just seemed like he was kind of clueless and he wasn't kind of getting it. And some people said oh, he was getting it. Some people, both just both lay people and groups like, you know, Star Trek, um, Star Trek movie and Screen Rant were calling out. They said Picard was acting. I mean, Pike was acting something out of character. And then what you said now, Alan, kind of makes me wonder if that's what's going on is his his mind is he's struggling with some stuff. So mm -hmm. maybe even just the fact that he kind of quickly, you know, end up in bed with that lady, even though she was obviously hiding something. Maybe it does go back to the fact he's like, look, I got to live now. You know, I've got to yeah. live now. Yeah. Um, and I, I just thought that was very interesting hmm. that that was brought out. I also another thought I had uh, about the. Um, episode from last week i thought it was funny a lot of people said that was a very dark episode and they thought star trek wasn't supposed to be dark and we talked about it last week and i think but well, this is what star trek is supposed to be doing because mm -hmm. you know we mentioned years ago there's no way they would have let a kid be tortured and basically killed i don't it's not like i like i think that's cool 
but I thought that was a really bold move. And I mm-hmm. think, um, I know we were talking to Matt and Matt last week, um, Alan, you may have heard, I asked Matt, did he like the show? And he says, I don't know if I like it, mm-hmm. but it's staying with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really think that's what Trek is supposed to do. Yes. Oh, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. yeah. It, sh- it should make you think. It Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it doesn't have to make you comfortable all the time. Yeah. Right. It should unsettle you sometime. Yeah. I'm still tripping over that one. <laughs> you know, because you said that, I just shared on Facebook and Twitter this week a quote from Rod Serling that is exactly about oh, that. Oh, yeah. That was huh? a great quote. So I want to read that quote real quick. This is okay. from Rod Serling. He said, the writer's role is to menace the public's conscience. He must have a position, a point of view. He must see the arts as a vehicle of social criticism, and he must focus on the issues of his time. And I just love that, especially that the, his role is to menace the public's conscience. I love <laughs> I that. I love that. I would yeah. never have thought of phrasing it that way. That's what a great phrase. Yeah. yeah. I love that. So, I mean, that's what Star Trek should do. It should leave you thinking about the episode. And yep. the point I made last week was that, I mean, you leave the episode last week thinking you could have done more to save that kid. But yeah, look around. Yeah. There's a million of them in our world that are going through that. Yeah. So go do something. You think something something should be done? Go do something. You know, make, it, make a change in your life. Hmm. I mean, that's the All sort right. of thing that Star Trek should inspire in you. Yeah. Mm. I agree. Wow. Well said. All right. So, Alan, where can people find more of you? I can't imagine that anyone would want to. But if you were to, you could find me on another podcast that I have called Modern Musicology. It is uh, three guys who love music of all forms, talking about music of all forms. One of our guys is going to be out of the country for the next couple of weeks. So we have um, Stephanie Seymour, the former drummer of the 90s band, the Aquanetas, who are going to be joining us for a couple of weeks. Hmm. And our next episode is going to be reviewing talking about the albums of 1982 and also i have a little publishing company cosmicpress.com how about you keith facebook someday and twitter and instagram (laughs) uh and maybe one day another podcast i'm thinking about that we'll have to talk okay and how about you veronica felt nerdy me how about us veronica Veronica? I'm all felt nerdy and monkeying around all by myself. Chuck does nothing for either of them. Feltnerdy.com. And? Monkeying around, a podcast about the monkeys. Yep. And we've got a great episode coming up this week. We met a guy, uh, Coco Dolan's birthday party a few months ago, which is a cool thing to be able to say. Um, we, we met at this guy who's local here in Atlanta who does uh, makes some great content and very knowledgeable. And he's got this whole project where he's looking for lost episodes of the monkeys that are out there. Um, wow. And for more explanation of that, listen to our podcast. that comes out this, uh, it should come out tomorrow as you're hearing this. It's uh, it's a fascinating talk with him and we get along great with him. Check it out because it's a, it's a, it's a fun one. Yeah. That sounds cool. really cool. I can't yep. wait to hear it. And Veronica, do you have a closing for us? No, but Keith does. <laughs> <laughs> well shit i already gave it early but i'll do it again okay starfleet starfleet is in a military organization it's a peacekeeping armada <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Perfect. that just makes me laugh <laughs> thank you for listening to earth station trek if you enjoyed the show please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform give us a positive rating you can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com you can join in the fun on our facebook group or follow us on twitter You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. 
The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.